party tonight. What? TV party tonight. Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Don't want to talk about anything else. We don't want to know. We're dedicated yes. to our favorite shows. All my tickets. Everybody loves hip photos. Gary Dawg. Dancing at Blurred Good evening. You are listening to a Radiligion Broadcasting premiere podcast, TV Party Tonight. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radilage. And tonight, our favorite show is The Orville. This particular season of The Orville, season three, is also known as New Horizons. And it is brought to you by the good people at Fuzzy Door Productions, 20th Century Television, and distributed by Disney Media Distribution. Season 3 debuted on Hulu, as a matter of fact, um, on June 2nd, when I was 46 years young, Jesse Stotcha. Um, It streamed in Hulu in the United States on Disney Plus internationally. Uh, Filming began in October of 2019, but was halted due to everything that halted at that time. The unknown and uh, unknown virus of unnamed origin, and production ultimately completed in August of 2021. Um, this is the, as I said before, this is the first season to, to premiere since the Walt Disney Company purchased 20th Century Fox and Seth MacFarlane. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me tonight, uh, my hetero life mate and brother from another mother, Chesty Starcher. How do you do, sir? Oh, Mark Radlich. Wait, am I allowed to use your nickname for not on the Metal Hammer of Doom? (laughs) You could just call me Jesse. That's fine. Everybody, all the straights will appreciate that. So we uh, we appreciate that for sure. You can just call me Dick Face like everybody else does. Uh, Um, Not to your face. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Um, uh, Also joining us tonight, who he kind of like demanded that he be on this podcast he he contacted me and he was like you're doing a science fiction show and you didn't include me why i never and then i had to like buy him roses and chocolates and make it up to him and said baby i'm sorry please forgive me and he said fine (laughs) and that man is david wright science fiction super fan how you doing sir Uh, just for the record the conversation actually went like hey can i be on the orville okay sure (laughs) (laughs) Stop revealing how things actually are. <laughs> it's more dramatic my way. So I want right. to begin tonight's uh, conversation by talking about the change in tone. Uh, this season followed the previous season where the main story arc was the betrayal of Isaac and the um, the invasion of the Kalon, which then when Isaac changed his mind and decided that he loved humans... Um, pushed back the Kalon, and this is sort of dealing in the aftermath of that. One of the things Jesse and I talked about was how the first two seasons, yes, there were some serious uh, episodes. There was some kitchen table topics like transgender children and things like that. There was more of a balance between the comedy that one expects from a Seth MacFarlane jam, most famously known for Family Guy, obviously a comedy cartoon, and the science fiction elements of from which this was inspired, namely Star Trek. And this season, dealing with the fallout of the Kalon and um, some more stuff about Mockless and the transgendered child, Topa, 
um, took on a much more serious tone. Like there was almost no comedy to be had. This, Jesse, you compared it almost to Deep Space Nine, but even more to the point, Deep Space Nine post the Klingon invasion and the war with the Dominion. Like it got that serious at times. And yeah. you said you didn't like the shift in tone to an almost strictly serious science fiction show. And I said, you're wrong. Yeah, um, did, did so, <laughs> so let's talk about that for just a minute. And then I'm going to throw it to you, David, to tell me that I'm right. I mean, to weigh in on your opinion. So go ahead, Jesse. Why do you hate America? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I was just I just pulled it up here. Uh, the last discussion that we had for season two was three years ago. Mm -hmm. A long time. Yes, a very long time. Uh, so what I wanted in this season was to kind of have the exact same thing that we had in the previous two. That's why I enjoyed what mm. we had in the first and second season of the Orville. There was enough of an offbeat, um, you know, tone to the humor. And there, it, it, I think that that mixed things up enough to keep it its own show. Now, when you go and do something like what they did here by really just, they got serious. It's the only way we could put it. They really got serious. And granted, there was a lot of serious matter to cover in this season. We have a war against the Kalons that we have to try and, and get through. We didn't have those big over uh, overarching story arcs. Mm -hmm. in those first two seasons that wasn't there so now you're just becoming what i thought you tried to set yourself apart from star trek you know any of the star treks that you could think of there is a little bit of humor every once in a while in a star trek episode but here it it yep. it was so it i'm back felt, oh there he is okay all right did, did i freeze yeah, we all froze at least once. Okay, all right. All right, Mark's having issues. <laughs> he's, he's having... Okay, so anyway, it's it really felt like it wasn't what it definitely brought me to the table in, first, in the first and second season because we get a lot more focus on the special, the, the visual effects in this series or in this season. Um and a lot more of like the the anguish that a lot of the characters are going through and the political uh, wartime uh, dealings that the union have to deal with. Let me try to help you. Do you feel like the show utterly lost its identity when it dumped the majority of its comedic elements? The answer is yes, but I want you to answer for yourself. Well, I mean, uh, I would have to say so. I mean, other than the only thing that really felt familiar at that point is like, okay, I know these characters, but these characters were not acting like I want, like I was expecting them to. Um, mm -hmm. We we first see Malloy in the first episode. You know, he's going around, he's flying this sleek ship, this this tiny little ship. He gets off, and I'm waiting for him to crack some jokes or something, and uh, he lands the ship, and it's like immediately a discussion about how uh isaac shouldn't be still in the union and mm -hmm. i'm like you know th I, even 
Malloy had some had some of those. He had a, a lot of the comedic elements we, in the first. Wait till we get to the time travel episode. You have no idea how much I'm pissed <laughs> off. Oh my god, Jesse! I don't think I've ever hated you before, and I may oh. never hate you after. <laughs> but I hate you so much right now. Every everything I I've ever loved about everything I've ever loved about you out the window right now. I hate that I episode. You. I will, and I have my justification for oh it. But I'm going to step back here. I'll, I, I, I'll, I'll step back here. But yeah, you know, did it lose its identity? I feel that it. I feel that it definitely lost a big chunk of it. It's still mm -hmm. the characters, but you can really start drawing parallels to what it's supposed to be. I thought separated from. Um, I, I want to piggyback on that, and I want to throw it to David. I don't want you to. I haven't presented my case yet, so Judge David, don't provide your sentencing in favor of me. Um. But I want to, you've watched all the Star Trek ever. Did this like just feel to you, like if you didn't know it was the Orville and, you know, and, and the change in colors and some of the syntax and pronouns, like the Union, not the Federation, the Mocklins, not the Klingons, et cetera, et cetera. Could you have been, if someone hit you over the head with a brick, could you have been convinced this was yet another Star Trek show based on the ways New Horizons is presented in the tone? Uh it depends what era of Star Trek, like what we call classic Trek. Yes, mm -hmm. if it's modern Trek. No. Well, hang on. Define classic and modern because I because I don't know where classic ends for you. Okay, classic uh, ends for me basically with like Star Trek Nemesis or the end of Enterprise. Okay. So you're including the new generation, the next generation, and all. That. Yeah, yeah. Original yeah. series, next generation, Deep Space Nine, so, Voyager, Enterprise, and movies. Classic Trek yeah. is everything from the from the original series all the way to the end of the next generation movies and shoot them in the face is discovery and Picard. Yeah. Okay. And strange new world now. Okay. And you said this resemble this, this could have fit in in any one of the classic Trek shows. Yeah. I get it. It would fit in as a continuation of those shows. I'd say. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a quick follow-up question to that in 50 words or less. Did that bother you? Uh, actually this season, not so much. Okay. Why? Uh, well, I think it's because the like like the show has always been juggling those two elements. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Seth MacFarlane, it's it's well known that he is a huge Star Trek fan. Like he sure. made fan films when he was a a teenager. Like, I think he even tried to get to be to get the Star Trek IP at, at mm -hmm. one point in time and was denied. And what was probably the worst decision made for the franchise. <laughs> and, uh, and and yeah, eventually says, "Well, stuff it. Then I'll make my own Star Trek with blackjack and hookers." <laughs> okay, let me yeah. tell you why this is the best season of the Orville ever, and and, and Jesse's completely wrong. But uh, it pleases the jury. Um, the straight my bow tie. Yeah, do that. <laughs> I loved this season. This season made me super emotional. TV art should make you feel. Um. This television show made me sad, exhilarated me, had me on the edge of my seat. Granted, a little bit of season two and season one did too, but I was not missing the comedic elements. This show has it has such weight to it, such fine acting, such wonderful writing. I mean, I I don't. Oh, he's gone. He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> As a matter of fact. <laughs> You know, YouTube disagrees with him that much. <laughs> it kicked him off of here. I know YouTube uh, with the ultimate wild card. 
<laughs> Fucking oh, Christ, man. man. My computer keeps crashing. Oh, um, no. Yeah. You said you don't, and then that was about it. And we were like, okay, good argument, and you're done. So, <laughs> um, I don't know where exactly it cut. I heard you say, I, I know you just said, I said I don't. And I loved this season. I loved all of the various critical elements of it. I love the acting. I love the heady topics. Um, I love the handling of them. I love the tone. I love the fact that it was serious. I was not missing the comedic elements of it. Um, I actually think the comedic, I think there were a handful. I'm just thinking, I just watched the season finale um where uh claire and isaac get married and you know claire runs into engineering and curses out lamar that was funny especially the way they handled it she's like i will eat you for breakfast you little bitch ass punk or whatever by referencing says. a previous <laughs> yeah hilarious moment and right in one of the previous se- seasons so to say that there's ahead. no comedic elements i mean and st- some of the stuff with bordis was you know cringy funny so i don't i wouldn't say there was no comedy here it just wasn't the kind of slapsticky stuff that they were doing in season one and they and they even shied away from it in season two if you recall it's one of the things we talked about with the last review but um i this is the best star trek currently <laughs> like, <laughs> like i haven't even watched discovery but from what i but from everything david tells me when we talked about lower decks friends don't let friends watch discovery and, <laughs> and we even said it with the first few seasons this is the best star trek going right now but it's because it reminds me of the best parts of TNG, Deep Space Nine, and TOS. It's because of the way that they handle all of these heady topics with, you know, really fun science fiction storylines. I like the fact that they ask questions about, you know, what do we do with time travel? The, the, the season finale dealt with Lacella and why there's the prime directive. Um, and... You know, for anyone that's ever watched Star Trek and kind of questioned it, the Orville does a great job of really walking you through that argument, every last bit of it, down to the detail, to the point where even an idiot would get it, you know? And I love, I kind of love that about the show. So <clears throat> here's what I'm going to tell you, Jesse, and this is my final piece of evidence to the jury, that the only reason why it was as funny as it was in the first season, and it got a little less funny in the second, and they almost abandoned the funny in the third, was because when Seth MacFarlane the family guy guy pitched his own star trek with blackjack and hookers they were like well it's going to be funny right because you're a family guy guy and he's like well no i i kind of just wanted to star trek the original series they're like yeah but you're the funny guy well disagree he wanted to do star trek the next generation fine um i'll allow it uh (laughs) He wanted to do Star Trek The Next Generation, and they were like, but you're the funny guy. And he was like, I, Seth, we're only going to let you make this if you make it funny. And so he put so Dick and Fart Jokes. So you're telling me. So what you're telling me. So he put Dick and Fart Jokes in there to satisfy Fox executives. And he could do, oh, and wow. because it was successful the first time around, they gave him a second season, and he could do a little less of that. Now that it's three years later and it's on Hulu, where no one gives a shit anymore what he does, he's making the show he always intended, and it's phenomenal. I think what I got cut off was I don't want to. Yeah, now I remember. I don't want to say this for every show we review because they're not all winners. Um, Halo, but Watchmen, Cobra Kai, The Orville. We are in a weird era of like a second generation peak TV here. Like this is some phenomenal writing, some of the best on streaming and terrestrial television. David, I give it to you. You've heard Jesse's ridiculous. On you know, just just um, just babbling baboonish argument, and then you've heard my superior intellect, 
Where do you come down? Jesse's right. Season three sucks. Blow me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In all seriousness, I'm I'm I am pretty much uh, close to you, Mark. This is this is the best TV science fiction I've seen pretty much since. Yeah, I, again, classic Star Trek went off the air. I was gonna say, and you and I have reviewed a lot of it. I mean, this is better than Foundation. I would say yeah. this is right up there. This is par with um, Lost in Space. Yeah, I, I would say maybe even a bit above Lost in Space. And Lost in Space mm-hmm. was good. Yeah, uh, you, and I, you and I absolutely painted the screen wet with uh, with how much we love Lost in Space. Yeah. Well, Lost in Space, I think, was more stronger in the sort of character realm of things, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Orville is much more well, big ideas, science yeah. fiction. Yeah. Let me ask a question. You're raising okay. an objection. <clears throat> well, this is a question that I've got. I've got to try and see because I've watched the, mm-hmm. a little bit of the first season of Lost in Space. Okay, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> let's just talk. Let about, me answer you. It gets better. Let me <laughs> let me ask you about tone shifts. Okay, yeah. if there was as much humor in the first two seasons of Lost in Space, and then you get what Lost in Space actually is in the third season, what are you going to think to yourself? Are you going to be like, oh wow, this is great? Or would you say it's a notch up from what you wanted? It's a, is that is what you're your, saying, David? Is that this third season is better than the previous? Is two? your argument? I don't like change. Why did you change my show? It's not. It's not about that. It's about okay. the fact that you're shifting a tone that you were used to mm-hmm. to something way more serious, or something that's a little bit lighthearted and maybe some serious elements to, to like. Oh are, my goodness! Are you it's making wartime. the argument that the show is? like not really the show anymore like you started watching a show called the orville and now it's kind of the orville in name only is that the argument you're making i yeah i think that i personally feel that they left a formula behind Mm -hmm. can a show change sure that's fine that's fine they can do that i'm just saying like with a comparison of lost in space lost in space is supposed to feel serious let me let me and it's offer, kept a consistent tone okay. through three well, seasons let, I'm let sure. me let me offer a for example to try to help you with your own argument and then i'm going to shoot it down and then i'll let david address it and then i'll shoot it down it would be like if you're watching brooklyn 99 <laughs> for the first <laughs> thank you um for the first two seasons and the third season it's the wire oh well okay <laughs> that, now First off, I enjoy both of those shows. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it would be, again, you'd be like, you'd lose half your audience, I'm sure. <laughs> like, the people that enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine are going to be like, what happened? Why is we, he acting we, like this? What is going on? Um, we, we go from fucking uh, title, title of your sex tape to <laughs> what the fuck did I do? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. But, I, I mean... Look, there to to me, I think that they should have taken all these long shots that they took throughout this season. All of the, you know, all of these, all the songs could be done with. I could deal with this. Is Luke Cage oh all over again? God, get go, rid of the music. Go find okay. Robert Winfrey and touch each other's wieners. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Get, I, Why do you I hate just, music? There was too much of it in here. I mean, let's sing a song. Okay, that can ha- I can handle that for one episode. But then we're singing songs like what, like every other episode. Malloy can't put his guitar down. I, <laughs> Dolly Parton shows up. What is going? On? Now I'm okay with Dolly Parton showing up. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm well, not gonna bitch sing, about that. She? I don't that was great. Her singing. 
Huh? She's got, oh. She was singing. She poured oh, a guitar she? and sung a song. Yeah, did it was her really? poetry. Oh, I, I, okay, yeah. I didn't remember that. That's fine. That's I right. have a, we never did get to hear Borda sing My Heart Will Go On. Uh, <laughs> All right. So you, 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 singing. Sorry, you've heard Jesse's argument, Jason. No, who yeah. are you? David. Go ahead and wait. That's in. David down there. Look at that name. There's the name tag, just in case you get yeah, there's, confused. There's, there, there's, 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 there's <laughs> right, right, right here. David. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so much to unpack there. Uh, like I think with the Orville was even in the early, especially season one, there was a bit of a tonal disconnect. Whereas the comedy was a bit too slapsticky, and the, whereas the sci-fi was a bit too serious. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think I could, you know, it never really sort of decided. You know, like, are we going to? Are we just going to be another Star Trek? Or are we just going to be a comedy set in a universe like Star Trek? You know, it's sort of like. You know, if you had space balls turning into, I don't know, uh, alien. what's now or alien. Yeah. Like it's, you know, like, like, you know, both of these things are great, but if you mesh them together, they don't quite work out. Yeah. We don't really want to see Lone Star being chased by a xenomorph. Like I, you know, <laughs> I love both those things, but, uh, just together, they don't, they don't work. It's like chocolate yeah, and this- skittles. You just, you just don't put those two together. <laughs> Right. This isn't cho- uh, this isn't quite your putting your chocolate in my peanut yeah. butter. I don't know. Now, granted, Isaac cutting Malloy's leg off will always be hilarious. That that <laughs> yes, is, it will. That, that is priceless. <laughs> yes, uh, it will. But I found where most of the jokes worked in the earlier episode of the Orville were the ones where it just kind of made the crew feel more like people. Yeah, well, we've been over this before. With the, one of the things I don't quite like about Star Trek is like just everything is just way too, you know, hoity-toity, you know, high culture. You know, yeah. All everyone talks about is Shakespeare, jazz, and classical music. Like, you know, you you think that at this point in the future, yeah, like probably someone is still is still listening to Nirvana or Beastie Boys. Shut up, Robert. <laughs> wait, hang on. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I like that they're sitting there on the bridge while they're waiting. For, to get to their destination, they're watching like old '90s sitcoms or stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's it, it, you right. know, it just shows that you you're going to get popular culture from other eras that is still has validity. Like they use the friggin' Rankin Bass Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer to convince Bordas to be a pro trans or whatever they're doing with that uh, whole thing. You know, I I love the bit where they they go into like the you know showdown in the old west in the in the holiday or I mean environmental simulator. And they've programmed it, reprogrammed it to be a dance contest, just because why not? Right. You know, yes. like, like that stuff worked really good for me for the humor. The the whole stuff like you know, do you see the dog licking its balls? Yeah, I couldn't take my eyes off. You know, like that kind of. <laughs> like, that's you know, great. That's yeah, great. That, that's the more space ballsy stuff. I mean, it's a good joke, but maybe this isn't the best place for that joke. Sort I of. Think, here, here's the thing, and and uh, we can conclude the discussion this way. David and I are both right, but to to sympathize with Jesse's point of view. David is literally right, as a matter yes, of fact. Go ahead. <laughs> put it on the name tag. <laughs> um, if if you were sat down and the very first season of this was New Horizons, you would not feel this way. You, for your for your money, the tonal shift is what's distasteful to you. Not that the show itself was bad. Right. Okay. So. Yes, if this was a completely this if this wasn't Orville and we had some different characters, to me this would feel like a very competent sci-fi show at that yeah, point. This is so, Star yeah. Trek, this is Star Trek, you know, D's nuts. 
but right but is it going to go is it going to make me go oh wow we had a lot of great discussions now there are some great discussions that happened in this season but you know i wanted i wow man it's really tough to say like we just really felt like we there were like three main plot lines this season and and almost like the previous shows it felt like there wasn't a whole, always one big plot line. It was like mm-hmm. a different show. It was very different episodic. issue. It was, it was, it was like yes. first couple of years TNG. This episode, we go to this planet and has, it has this problem. And we this do, yes. we go to that, you know, we're picking up a, we're doing a supplier run to this planet. We're dropping off a thing at this planet, you know, and hilarity ensues. I get that. Um, I want to say this before we move on, because if I don't talk about suicide, I never will. Um, and and we have to. I have to talk about that first episode. I mean, that's like episode one, man. You just, Ooh. I mean, uh, that's not. I, and I was having a bad day. It was the day Ooh. after I saw the Chili Peppers, and it was yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe maybe don't do the robot suicide episode as your first episode after. Wow, coming out yeah. the gate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, that was the like throwing you into the deep end there. I yeah yeah. I'm, well, I'm there. I, I'll go back to it in a second, but um, I want to say before we move on, you know, you brought up the songs and. You brought up the long shots. This was beautifully shot, David. This oh, season, they, they, they up. This was like Marvel money, but like every episode. I mean, yeah, this is a well, after the move to streaming, they they got a bit bit of a better budget. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, like this did not seem cheaply made at all. This, I mean, and I think the episodes clock clocking in in an hour plus for almost all of them. Like they were like little mini movies, and mm-hmm. it's gorgeous to look at. I, I really. This was a cinematic treat for the eyes, which is not something you often say about television. Television often looks kind of you know cheaply made because it's TV. Um, they don't throw a movie. They, they tend uh, unless you're a Disney Plus streaming show from the Marvel universe. They tend not to throw movie money into your television show, but this one looked it. And it they it looked every bit of that. All right, so let's talk about that first episode. Um, and we're not going episode by episode, but I. There were some things that happened in some of these episodes that bought that bear long form discussion. And, you know, Isaac doesn't feel emotion, but there's something that approximates guilt. And the way that he defines it is my continued existence on this ship causes um, issues like with, with crew efficiency or with, like with the crew. It's a very. And and therefore, they are inefficient in running of the ship, and therefore, my I should remove myself from the running of this ship for better efficiency among the crew. He's essentially saying, "You don't need me or love me. I'm going to take myself out because you're better off without me." It yeah, broke it's... my heart because, not to be too personal, but boy, have I felt that at times. Like that hit me personally. It's a very logical argument. Obviously, he's a yeah. robot. He doesn't have feelings, so he doesn't. He isn't going to equate. He isn't equating, uh, you know, his his feelings or other people's right. feelings. What he's seeing is that his presence has that mm-hmm. much of an effect on everybody else, and that is what I assume a lot of people would probably argue in order to well, commit suicide. Is that it- their a presence? is mm-hmm. not helping anything it's not improving efficiency right uh, as as isaac says and if i was gone right it's a sad it's and it's like a said, really 
I, I don't want to detract from from what we're discussing here and be too personal. But like I said, I have had my struggles with depression over the years. And there were definitely not that I ever acted on it. But there were definitely times where I was like, everyone would be better off when I felt lonely, when I felt isolated, disconnected from people, when I, you know, when things all the loss of fr- I recently I told you about this in Metal Hammer of Doom. I had to break up a friendship that was meaningful to me. And I was and that and I it was a week later when I watched that episode. And I went to another concert the night before, and I was kind of missing that friend in that moment. And so the whole the next day, I was not feeling well, not not feeling happy. And then I watched this, and I'm hearing this character talk about... It's hard because he's a robot and doesn't talk about feelings. Says that multiple times. But essentially, in the subtext, it's... As you said, everyone would be better off without me because you're already feeling he was feeling guilt you know guilt about his participation in the uh the Kalon uh battle um he's being made to feel guilty by a new character on the show charlie who's uh, the new ensign who he ends up um bonding with over time you know something very someone very close to her ends up dying in the battle and she's taking it out on him you know and so there's all this all this other stuff and so not only is I think that a relatable topic, which is why I'm making a huge deal about this, but it was personally relatable to me, Jesse. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, the way that I took it was, you know, clearly all he's doing is just calculations in his head. And he's mm-hmm. seeing, you know, he's he's seeing this uh, and his effect on these other people. And yeah, Charlie is... <sighs> obviously upset about what happened and, rightly, and rightly having so. to, yeah having to see him every day probably doesn't make things better at all but no matter what she throws at him he's not going to feel that much more guilty but he's definitely going to see the effect that he has on her and logically mm-hmm. it's just going to be like well you know she's <laughs> obviously got uh my if i wasn't here she would perform better right. uh so yeah it's a really logical argument that i i assume they wanted to get across to us to show us it is hard for some people to put themselves in the shoes of someone who feels like taking their own life and yeah. here we are we have a robot and the discussion that isaac has with claire where claire sits down and says okay we need to talk about the decision that you made and i'm going to tell you how it's wrong masterfully written in my opinion i think it was done mm-hmm. very well you you watch that interaction between the two and you come away the, with like there's a very a better specific, understanding there's a very specific line david that i needs to be said out loud because it's because jesse said it was brilliantly written and he's the whole thing's brilliantly written but this one line i have kept with me i watched it um gosh it was friday <clears throat> this is now tuesday when we're recording this i think i watched that episode friday and um and I've kept that with me for the last couple of days, and I'm, it's still ringing in my head. Uh, something along the lines of, there is no problem too big that won't be resolved over time. When you get to the point where life becomes too much, and you're feeling like you have no options but to take yourself out of it, you feel like those problems are too big, they're insurmountable, um, they're all around you, and there's no way out. And you're you're creating a way out. And what she's saying in that scene is that 
you have to reframe your thinking that there is no problem that's so big that you can't find that over time it won't resolve itself or you'll be able to resolve it or it just you know you'll be able to get past it or over it and she's absolutely right somebody described suicide as you know a selfish act and that's very true that is you only thinking about yourself and your own pain and not considering the pain that you're even in a situation where you might feel like you are unloved you're unappreciated and you are utterly disconnected from the world around you you'll never know quite what you mean to people until you're gone and you've left them with the wreckage of your uh, demise. And that's what the show is talking about in those interactions between Claire and Isaac. Your thoughts, David? Well, I don't think I can really say anything more about the emotional impact of that episode than you have. Uh, but on to more to the topic of Isaac, I think uh, they really do a good job of keeping him as a robot, I, I guess, yeah. Sheen. And, uh, like it's kind of funny because you know whenever you have AI or, or sentient machines in science fiction, there's either like they either go one of two ways. One is I have feelings, I want freedom, robots mm -hmm. of the world unite, or you <laughs> have hmm, the greatest threat to life is life itself. Therefore, if we kill everything, there, things will work out, mm -hmm. and become self-aware, and so on and so forth. Whereas it's like, well, what what do machines really want if they became sentient? Like maybe a you know, if, if, you're, if your photocopier becomes sentient, maybe just wants to make more photocopies. It's like, this is my reason for existence. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we just, you know, it's never, it has not happened to us yet if it is possible. And, you know, we, we don't know. So I like the way that how Isaac is able to relate to everyone almost in a human way, but it's always a, in a very mechanical way. Like, you know, the way he phrases things in terms of, like you said, like, you know, I feel that crew efficiency would be improved if I was, no longer aboard the ship and that's his justification yeah we would say you know i feel like the world would be better if i were dead or something like that right it's him thinking that processing that like even when he goes into his relationship with claire like my subroutines just don't function at peak efficiency when she's not around you know i was like i can't explain it but that's just the way that i i've developed and and i really appreciate that they like they do give him emotions for like five minutes in one episode but then he loses <laughs> it and we establish that you know he can't have emotions permanently and can i ask a nice ask a lot of magic he's human now you know you know claire look i'm a real boy <laughs> i want you to compare that to when they gave data the emotion chip which one worked better for you um oh geez i mean did did in the emotion chip was like brett spiner just chewed the hell out of that scenery and it was great like uh, <laughs> would I, you I, like I, a drink I, yes yeah <laughs> this is vile may i have another one <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's like I was like I, I don't understand. Like, it's like, well, looks to me like you don't like it. Yes, that's it. I hate this stuff. It's revolting. More, please. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I could I can quote pretty much every scene from Generations where where Data is doing the emotion chip thing. But uh, mm -hmm. Brad Spiner having to play an emotionless robot that's depressed about not having emotions for seven seasons. Like, let the man choose some scenery for crying out loud. He's earned it. Right. It's like that Pokemon episode where the voice actress that played Pikachu got to say something other than Pikachu. She's been saying the same word for 12 years. Let her have some dialogue, please. I, but I, I, thought, I, uh, yeah. um, I thought that was a very sweet way to handle it in the time yes. allotted him. Yeah, but uh, a better way to put it, it, just sticking on data before we move on. With data, his thing was like he experienced fear for the first time right. and couldn't handle it. And then Picard just like, you wanted emotions. 
This is part of having emotions. You get the good emotions, you get the bad emotions, and you have to learn how to live with them. That's what it is to be human. So suck it up. And, you know, so there was a payoff to that other than watching Brent Spiner be funny for, uh, for, mm-hmm. for you know, a whole movie. But uh, with Isaac, yeah, well, you get sort of the payoff where after he loses the emotions and they say, you know, the only way we can give you this ability is to basically wipe your memory and, you know, mm-hmm. do an upgrade. And he said, like, you know, if, if this will make Claire happy, I'll do it. And Claire just says, like, you know, you were willing to give up all of who you were to make me happy. You know, that's like, you, there's no better definition of lo- what love is. So, they have the goofiest you know, romance, but it totally works for me. It, it does. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, it's... like of all the stories that have been told about uh, dating robots, this this one's probably <laughs> the oddest, most satisfying. Like it's watching I... Claire, watching Claire adapt to him over the course of this season because, like, she'll start with "How do you feel?" and he's like, "I feel nothing. I'm a robot, dummy." Yeah. To get to where they get at the, it's implied, by the way, dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get to where they get at the end with the wedding episode where she's trying to process his reasoning for wanting to marry and she now knows how to communicate but like she learned how to get through to him over the course of season three to where when they're talking about whether or not they should marry she knows what words to use and how to phrase it so that so that it makes sense and they're not constantly hitting the block of i'm a robot dumbass yeah well even when Lamar gives him the terrible advice of, oh man, I think you're, you know, you should play the field, you know, like don't mm-hmm. limit yourself to one woman. And then Isaac just starts like, Commander Grayson, would you, I would like to have sexual intercourse <laughs> with you. It's like, okay, I'm just going to pretend that never happened. And then, it's like, I'm, and then she's like, I'm going right to sick bay to talk to Claire, like, head this thing off. And then, and then Claire's initial reaction is like, okay, Isaac, where did you get this idea from? It's like, okay. Right. And then she goes and basically tells Lamar that she's going to rip his tongue out through his asshole if he ever does. <laughs> Listen, my husband is very impressionable. <laughs> very. I, uh, uh, I, I just, I was just wanted to say, I wanted to mm-hmm. tell you that this suicide discussion uh, with Isaac, uh, this is where I am going to lodge my first complaint against this season. Okay. And there's, there's a, a lot of discussion about playing God throughout here you can find a couple mm-hmm. episodes in season mm-hmm. three where they're discussing this and isaac made the choice to to leave he made the choice to kill himself uh mm-hmm. deactivate himself and there was no discussion amongst the crew about would it or should it be right to bring isaac back didn't seem like it seems like they were just like oh let's go ahead and bring him back because we can can i i want to re- reaffirm i didn't think about it until you just said it so th- brilliant jesse I didn't even think about that because the, the argument was not should we bring him back or not bring him back if we can, you know, do, first do no harm. If someone dies on the gurney, medicals will revive you. There's no question about that. Um, and so that may have been in, that may have what informed some of the writing is that if you have a patient, I mean, it, it changes the dynamic slightly when you have a, you know, a robot who you're trying to revive. But you don't have to worry about, you know brain failure and heart failure and all of that if you've left them dead for too long um but consider the fact that in human earth's modern society anyone that dies they will make every effort to revive them unless there is specifically a do not resuscitate order on file now hang on the argument that was presented in the show wasn't even that it was do we bring him back do we bring back the traitor or do we leave the traitor to die 
and there no was discussion, no discussion about the choice that he right. made. Yeah, the, the in and of itself, it's something along the lines of assisted suicide. If someone elects to kill themselves, is it right or wrong philosophically, ethically to revive them because you can? And I actually think that that is some brilliant food for discussion. Um, I think because it's not formally addressed in any way, both within the within the text and uh, around it. In other words, there's never there's never a talk about you know a do not resuscitate or you know a uh, an, a, an elected uh, assisted suicide. It's just they don't they don't even address it. He just kind of mm-hmm. does it. Like, you know, like slitting your wrist in the bathtub. And they're like, okay, he's dead now, but we can bring him right. back to life. And so we will. And the only objection is, but why? He tried to kill us all. Why don't let's leave him dead? And it kind of and it goes back to Charlie, who's got an emotional investment in leaving him dead. Oh boy, and you don't get she, that throughout this season. If you don't you understand know, that, does just stop watching horse. the Orville. Yeah. <laughs> or television. Um, and she's like <laughs> I should not be made to revive the murderer of my love. Mm-hmm. It's too much. And the great strength of Charlie's character is that because it is her duty as a military personnel, um, when she is ordered to, she at first, she, I think she like resigns, but she comes around and she's made to do it. And it's the uh, beginning it, of the... It it's, it's Marcus, I believe, who said, like, yeah, I want Isaac back. Because like mm-hmm. getting, getting to what you guys are saying is one of the reasons Isaac... Isaac killed himself was because again he thought everyone hated him and you, even right. Marcus is like oh, I wish you were dead, but then right. after he kills himself, Marcus is like I was just angry like I didn't mean I didn't really want him <laughs> to be dead. Again, <laughs> Isaac very impressionable. We're, we're, well, right. not just not, not just yeah. he's impressionable. Words have meaning. You know, maybe the three of us here, to one degree or another, have some pretty thick skin when, when someone says I wish you were dead. We go okay, hurtful, but not yeah. going to act on it. Exactly. Come across that one, but uh, like I, I know, well, like, like when growing up, like there, you you sort of heard these stories sometimes about like a kid mm-hmm. that was, like picked on by everyone at school, right. like could not get a break at all, right. not a friend in the world, and eventually, like they would they would kill themselves, and then afterwards, everyone in their class like, oh, this is so sad. Like, why would they do that? And you know, such a nice person. It's like because you were all a bit of little dicks to them. Right. Well, right. right. And to the more specific, you way, but I ran them off a cliff and now you're saying like, oh, this is so sad. It's like bullshit. When, when you say I wish you were dead, even if you're being facetious, it, you know, you don't know inside what that person's dealing with. And so you might think you're dealing with somebody who, who's made a sterner stuff, but is really fragile and on the edge. And, you know, and that was the key phrase they needed to, you know, take, take care of business, as it were. Um, yeah. The only other thing I would say on that is like, they, they, they are at war with the Kalon, and Isaac would be like a, a good resource to try and find a way against the Kalon, which he actually. Well, I think that was the reasoning that Mercer. Yeah, yeah that is more Mercer's reason. Was like, I'm not going to let him. I'm, if we can bring him back, I'm going to make the, make the decision to do so because it's for the greater good. The greater which good. Which I. The greater good. But Jesse, this was your point that you wanted to bring up, so we, we kind of kicked it around a bit. I wanted you to yeah, to kind of resolve it for no, us. So you, you guys, the next discussion. I you know I I just wanted to point that out that I think as for a show that talks about the situation in which they shouldn't be playing God in this mm-hmm. in this scenario, they made the decision to do so, and it didn't seem like they discussed it enough to warrant yeah. w- the actions that they did, but. 
it, it still doesn't it still doesn't mean that what is being written and what is being shown is is not well done because we are sitting here talking about it and we could probably honestly go on for another half hour because I've got mm -hmm. uh, you know there's a whole other part to that that you got to think about it it leaves the person who's viewing this with questions which is great that's why I love the Orville in the first place mm -hmm. we would discuss some of the you know social aspects of this show that it kind of brings up they try to resolve it I just don't think this was resolved in the manner that I think they should have they should have chewed it just a little bit longer and we're going to talk about playing god when we hit the time travel episode so just okay. be ready well i want to talk about transgendered children you know okay it's my right. my passion in life yeah. yeah so so we're not going to talk about suicide anymore right <laughs> i feel <laughs> like we so, i so, feel so, like we hang on i feel like we, i feel like we beat it to death not doing the mongo canceled <laughs> Can't. Yeah. So anyway, so Topa goes up to Isaac and asks him, <laughs> dead. So season one, Bordis and Clyden hatch a baby, and the baby is born female. And as in Mocklin tradition, uh, they're going to change the baby's sex to reflect uh, the all the preferred all male gender uh, of Mocklin society. And there's a debate about that between the union and the Mocklins over whether or not that is ethical. And the Mocklins thing is our society, our rules fuck right the hell off. And the union is sure, but we feel like ethics are universal and it outweighs your culture. And you probably shouldn't change the sex of a baby. And Jesse, you and I talked about that at length. Uh, that, that episode hit me hard. Two seasons later in like a million years, we're back to it again. Topa is significantly older. And there are people that we know personally. And if they're listening to this, they're probably going to turn the podcast off now. Because there are people that believe that transgender is not really a thing. That these are just mentally ill people. And we, they should be given medi medication and therapy and possibly a punch in the face uh, to fix it. That this is not something that should be catered to. That is one argument. The opposing argument is it's very much a thing. And that there are people who feel biologically, mentally, uh, with trauma, without trauma, that they were born in the wrong bodies. And they get to a point where they, uh, to one age or another, and I know someone who was very young, like in the like toddler to like early preschool uh, school age, who expressed that they were in the wrong body. Um, maybe you feel it then, maybe you feel it older, but you get to a place where nothing feels right, everything feels off, and you don't feel like you have the right body, at which point, over time, immediately, with therapy, without therapy, you pursue the right body for you. You become transgendered. And that is what this episode talks about. Topa, who has been a boy for quite a number of years, is now expressing, I don't feel right. And I don't know why, because he doesn't know that he was once a girl. Right. And he's talking about that. He's like, I don't feel right. Everything feels off. I'm depressed. I'm angry. I don't know what this is. And I don't know how to deal with it. And so first, there's, do we tell him or don't we? And uh, Andrew, and, um, and Andrea, and Adrian. Adrian Palicki's uh, yeah, character, Kelly. Commander Grayson, is very much invested in the life of Topa and is very much involved in Bordis's family 
and she's making the argument of Topa should know. He should know. And we should deal with this as it is for the mental health of this child. And Clyden, who is very much steeped in the prejudices and culture of Mocklin society, is like, nope. Born a girl, made a boy, stays a boy. That is how we do things, and that is and how the, that is how he's always done things, and that is how it will always be done. And I will not hear an opposing argument and stay out of it, human Grayson. You have no place in this. Go ahead, Jesse. Wasn't Clyde? Didn't they say that Clyden was also uh, changed? Yeah, Clyden. Yeah, she was a female. Yeah. Had the procedure done when uh, he was, and a that informs the argument, though, for him. And that right. is, I I was better off having been changed into a boy and being accepted by Mocklin society, you will be rejected and you will cause yourself an unending torrent of pain man, because man. an entire society rejects you for being a woman, being a girl. Um, in the end, they not only tell Topa through various means, but then Topa, um, through another series of machinations, gets the surgery and is a girl, at which point Clyden kind of papers in the air, just gives up. Like, I... I can't talk to Bordis. <laughs> Grayson uh, won't get out of our life. My son is now a girl yet again. I don't feel like I'm a part of this family anymore. And fucks off to Mocklin. Um, I loved this episode, Jesse. This was phenomenal. And whether or not you're pro-trans or anti-trans or don't believe it even exists or think everyone should be trans, whatever side of the fence you're on, I thought that... I don't know how many other television shows or movies are dealing with the transgender issue... <clears throat> so I'm going to throw out maybe a controversial opinion, but this might have been the best I've ever seen it handled. Like, I really feel like they went out of their way to go, here are the different sides of this. These are the different ethical questions. And this is a story we're telling. Go. Let me tell you, the, the central part of this episode, it all comes down to <clears throat> really one thing for me personally. Mm -hmm. And that is the love that a father has for their child. Mm -hmm. Bordis we find out is the one that gave um, Topa the password in order to find out uh, right. the specifics of what happened because damn society, this is his child. They should know the truth, holding right. this stuff back and deceiving their, it's wrong. Right. I mean, it's essentially it weighs on Bordis that much to be deceiving and we i guarantee you there's if you're a father a parent there are things that you don't tell your child because you're afraid of how much it's going to hurt them this mm -hmm. this show this situation takes it to that nth level and it's a, it's a matter of what's right versus what's wrong should you tell your child the truth and it all comes down to Bordis making the decision yes the child deserves to know you know mm -hmm. topa deserves to know what actually happened for them to make their own choice because Topa knows something is wrong. Bordis knows something is wrong. Something <laughs> is not right. And boy, if I didn't hate Clyden before, I hated <laughs> Clyden in the previous two seasons. Oh, yes. I was like, see you later. Yeah. Blow bye him bye. out the airlock. Yeah. <laughs> put him in the ass. See you later. I was so glad. Mm -hmm. uh, and that does lend a good bit as to the resolution that we're going to get as the season progresses, uh, yeah. which is great. I, I like that, but I hated Clyden. 
uh, especially in this episode. What a horrible decision to make to just leave your family like that. Can we can we just address for the fact that I think that is a common enough internal battle people make between their religious conviction and the family that they love and how they are not right. sometimes congruent and yet you have to somehow reconcile your faith with your family struggle struggle and it took topa nearly getting killed for clyden to do that mm. in, a, in an episode later on so people who were listening to this might not have watched the show um I propose we just go story arc by story arc as opposed to episode. <laughs> <by> episode. <laughs> um, yeah, no, 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 I'm with you. That's why we're not doing it that way. Um, they go to visit the the women colony on another the Mocklin women colony on another planet. She meets like you know the Maya Angelou of Mocklins, and <laughs> um, and is kidnapped by the male Mocklins and then interrogated and yeah, beat to shit and everything. Yeah, huh? Yeah, she's basically kidnapped by the government, the Mocklin yeah. government. Yeah. yeah, and um, and so there's a thing at the, at the union headquarters where you know the, the Mocklins, you know, of course, like Khrushchev just like banging his shoe, and you know, I actually love Malloy's speech during all of that, which is like, you people are dicks, <laughs> you, like we have you dead to rights, and you obf obfuscate anyway, and then and then demand we listen to you, when you refuse to listen to anyone else, like. And, yeah, you're, and you're, you're going around kidnapping kids and torturing them to near death, and uh, then you say like you're the ones that are being oppressed and we're being so unreasonable. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes, he should have been court-martialed for that, and boy, we'll get to the next thing to time travel. But it was, it was, it was definitely one of those where he's speaking for the audience, you know, or, or he's speaking for those of us who have been in a situation where you had no voice, but boy, you felt some way about things. Um, yeah, they uh, Topa is kidnapped beat to shit, interrogated, then rescued by Bordis and Grayson, and then presents herself as beat to shit to the Union, which causes the Mocklins to be kicked out of the Union, um, which raises a whole, you know, the, the next story arc. Yeah, how, but, how um, many story arcs weave together in this season is fantastic. Pretty, pretty brilliantly written. Um, but the point being that, you know, Bordis has a couple of great lines over the course of those two episodes. One, Topa is perfect. Um, yeah, which yeah. I think is something right. that if you're dealing... If you're dealing with a transgender family member, it's probably something that needs to be reinforced and said. Well, like, these people aren't these people aren't like going through enough as it is internally. Maybe recognition from the people around them that they're not bad for being the way they are would be nice. Go ahead, David. I, I keep cutting you off, but I want to make sure I said that. Okay. No, no, yeah. It was it was right after Clyden stormed out after saying to Topa, I wish you had never been born. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ, LGBTQI community. How many times have you heard that one? Yeah. And then yeah, just, puts, his, puts his hand on her shoulder and looks at it. Listen to me, Topa. You are perfect. Right. And like, that was just, I mean, Bordas deserves the best dad mug on the ship. Like, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's again, people listening to this who are not favorable towards the LGBTQI community. I mean, these people, the high rate of suicide in that community for being gay or trans or whatever, because you are not accepted by those around you and maybe those even closest to you. There's a reason why people in that community have to form families outside of their blood because their own like mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and grandparents reject them. And how many of this, speaking of suicide, drives them to end their life because of everything we said in the first 40 minutes of this show. And I like, and look, and I think this is why I brought that up. You might watch this and go, the message. The agenda. I don't like it. Okay, but this is real life, and right, that exists, you're and that happens. These situations are all over right. the world right now. I mean, it's not something that just 
Oh, the agenda. Well, the only way that people learn how to deal with things like this mm -hmm. are through shows like this. Sometimes right. they look, see and, something like this. They're uh, like, oh, I can relate to that. Look, if you don't want to watch the Orville because it comes across as pro gay, uh, whatever, then don't watch. But to I think if there's a reflective knee jerk of, oh, it's the agenda. No, no, no. It's a recognition of something that's going on in society. They took a position on it. Good for them. You don't have to agree with it. And it isn't any less entertaining because of it, David. Yeah, well, here's here's what the Orville does that makes all this work that modern Star Trek, for the most part, fails to do. This was not an easy path to get mm -hmm. to this point. I mean, yes, like the moment they did the first episode, I knew Topa was going to transition <laughs> back to being female. And yes, this is a, a metaphor for trans. They've just simply inverted it. Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like there was an episode of Next Generation, I think it was called The Outsider, where they have a species that is all you know, like monosexual, like uh, a, a, you know, asexual, let's go with that. And mm -hmm. you know, they meet one member that's like, no, I actually, I'm, I'm more female. And then that person gets basically converted back to being monosexual and is like oh i'm i'm no I, I was broken and they fixed me and i'm happy to be in this society this is a gross oversimplification of this episode for people <laughs> listening but you know it's, it's that same sort of idea where we invert the issue to sort of so that we can talk about it but you know well, well i think the most brilliant move they did in this whole arc was actually clyden that they made clyden female at birth transition had the procedure done i should say Mm -hmm. and was happy about it because at that point now it's not so black and white you know now right, right, and, right. and like i remember i remember you guys talking about the trial scene before where it's like look mockless is a very dangerous planet it's a hostile environment females don't survive very long on this planet so it's for the survival of our species that we went to the all-male thing i mean how that works with the level of technology blah 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 i mean it's a metaphor okay let's let's just go yeah. with that you know but but you know it, it was not an easy thing to do, and even when uh, Topa starts to show signs of depression, you know, Bordis is torn on it, and it's Clyden saying like, "No, look, I've been through this. The worst thing that ever happened to me was finding out that I was born female. You don't want to go down this path." And Bordis right. backs Clyden again because he believes that Clyden's experience, you know, makes it right. It's only when Topa goes up to Isaac and says, "What is it like to be dead?" That sets off the alarm bells. Like this kid is thinking about killing themselves. Right, right. right. Where it's like, what have we got to lose? And you know, it's not mm -hmm. only that Kelly gives gives uh, Topa the the file name. It's that Bordis was the one that gave the passcode. You know, it's at this point where you know, like they have gone over both sides of this issue, and that's what makes it so good. Is it's exploring the issue. It's it's fighting both sides of the argument to get to its eventual end point where if it was just like what they would do more in say modern star trek where it's like yes trans rights are human rights trans you know trans women are women and if anyone if you think differently than us then you are a evil bigot a stupid monster and we don't need to explain ourselves because it's so self-evident how much brighter we are than you and you know you're just going to have people who are already say you know not on board with the whole trans thing they're just gonna right. like you know, screw this woke crap and they're just gonna go off back to right. you know their their bubble they're gonna go watch cobra kai yeah they're gonna or, or whatever <laughs> and all the people that are pros trans are just gonna say yes stunning and brave and you know nothing <laughs> right so, uh, I, I, I think, it's, I think addressing the fact that clyden's argument isn't completely out of bounds 
yeah. was a nice bit of bit of writing yeah. for the show. Now it is blatantly obvious, even to the most casual of observers, that the show is siding against Clyden. This is a pro-trans message. <laughs> like sure. that is totally cool. But because they treat both sides with some degree of respect and thoughtfulness and try and work them both out, you know, it creates a discussion. Like if I my hope is that if someone goes on either side of this issue and watches this story, I can go like, mm -hmm. huh. I never thought of it that way before. I never saw right. that side of it. That is what it's about. That is what the greatest Star Trek has done is explore those issues and give both sides their due, even when it sides, you know, it obviously has its own, you know, side that it is siding with. If that makes I any can't sense. remember if it was, I, it was probably the Orville, but I think also like Black Mirror and some of the other heady shows that we discussed. I don't mind. In fact, I much prefer when a show does take a position, but you must also present both arguments as... Uh, respectfully, so that people can make up their own minds. The show itself can take the position pro-trans, anti-trans, pro-death penalty, anti-death penalty. I think we talked about that with Jupiter Ascending or Landing or whatever the hell it's called um, where we talked about the death penalty. Like Jupiter's legacy, I think. Was it. Jupiter's legacy. Yeah. Present your argument. Present both sides of the argument. Let the audience decide. And then you narratively take the position you want to take. And I'm not taking that away from the showrunners. You want to make a pro-trans, pro-LGBTQI show? By all means, that's you. You got the budget. You got the green light. Go make your go make your art. I'll choose to watch or not watch, but treat both sides of the argument respectfully and let the audience also decide for themselves whether or not they agree with the show's position or not. That yes. is the art of writing. Yes, and it's when the, and, and it's in the absence of that. That's when you get into the the message or woke or whatever yeah. other buzzwords SJW, whatever other buzzwords you want to throw at it, is when it's just the writers are so so basically self conceited that or condescending that they're just like we well, we don't need to explain ourselves. It's so inherently obvious that we are mm -hmm. right and everyone else is either wrong or evil. If they object to us, that you know, we don't need to go into this or you know or or present the issue as anything more than this, and then. Like I say, it's just you're you're not going to reach anyone doing that. You're just preaching to the to the choir and not converting anyone. And that's where good science fiction, good storytelling like this works is when you can do that. And I think I'm on the verge of going in circles here, so I'll just round out by saying like, you know, how great it was when Bordis went to talk to Kelly and just broke down after you know saying you know I, I'm the one that gave the message like for mm -hmm. like I have to say like for both Bordis and Clyde and I don't know the actors' names, but man, they they really have earned some respect in this show just for the random alien crap that they've had to do as as, as following all of this stuff like they i'll give you the actor's name because he deserves name credit here yeah um but peter macon does the best deadpan i've ever seen yeah so so <laughs> it's pretty yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. be like crying and emoting like mm. in that scene it, it was just yeah like that that really hit home you he, just see how he has a line in this in the episode where um, where they go to visit Maya Angelou and Trump gets kidnapped. Yeah. And he comes in and he's very Bordis about the whole thing. Like, yeah. like Bordis is, is like a Klingon cross with a Vulcan. He comes in yeah. and he's got his wine slop that he drinks and he, guzz and he guzzles it. And he goes, there are days I would rather take on a fleet of Kalon ships than parent my child or something along <laughs> those lines. I've been, yeah, I've, I've been there. Yeah, not there yet, but take your word for it. Uh, yeah. Um, like, we hear you, brother. Um, hey, Jesse. Mark. Want to talk about time travel? Oh, my goodness. Look, I'm, I'm perfect. 
perfectly fine with what they did with the time travel. I know I'm the big time travel, you know, enthusiast. Well, let's explain it. They're they're working on, I guess, the Aronoff device is what it's called. Like that. Yeah. yeah, they're working on the flex capacitor, and something happens. It blows up. It blows up, and it sends Malloy back to um, what's it like 2015? I think. Yeah, basically. Uh, twenty. Well, yeah, he went back to 2015. Right. Yeah, you got it. Okay. He gets he gets blown back in time to 2015. He contacts the Orville um, and says, you know, I'm here. Come get me. They do a thing. They do a trip around the sun, however it works. And they get there, but they get there in 2025. And by the time they've gotten there, he has given up the protocol of remain invisible. He stopped living in the Breaking Bad world where he's in a he's in a cabin in the woods, not talking to people. Hey, look, you're wearing your shirt again. Where where my Walter shirt? Go ahead. Um, hey, Jesse, did you ever watch Breaking Bad? <laughs> uh, nope. Wow, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's the second time I've done that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he he gives up being in the cabin in the woods, and um, he uh, he starts to live his life. At which point, he finds the woman he fell in love with on the cell phone, and marries her, and has two kids, and becomes an airline pilot, and is just living his life, assuming he'll never make it back to the future. Dun dun dun. Um, they show up in, in a very Star Trek four way. Where they've got to, they they don't have enough fuel to go home, so they got to go get fuel, and that's Isaac and Charlie's job. Yeah, same um, nuclear vessels, nuclear vessels. We need to double dumbass on you. <laughs> He's like a retard or something. Um, <laughs> love that line. <laughs> I know he's a Russian, but he's like a retard. Um, <laughs> so good. Anyway, Star Trek Four, the best. Um, so yes, Char Charlie and Isaac have to go mine for fuel for the ship. Um, and Kelly and Ed are going to go get Malloy and he brings him back to the house and they explain what happened. And they're like, and then privately they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what did you do? Yeah, and, buddy. and he's like, let me explain it to you thusly. Humans are social creatures. I had no idea if you were coming back for me. I was already here for two, two or three years when this happened and I was dying. I was dying without social interaction. And that's completely true, by the way. You will go, this is the problem, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but this is the problem with modern incarceration because of, due to nature of crime, due to nature of violence, due to nature of behavior, we have to isolate people from each other. And we then have to absolutely make sure they don't deteriorate mentally because that's what happens. And so there he is faced with the deterioration of his own mental state and going, fuck it. I don't care about the temporal prime directive anymore. I got to go be where the people are. As the Little Mermaid says, black or white. Anywho, um, I'll go in there, Mark. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking your about, David. Back up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes to live his life, and they're like, "But Malloy, the duty, the job," and he's like, "But my life," and that's the debate. And then they try to force his hand, and he's like, "I'm not going. I love these people. This is my life. I just won't go back." And Ed's like, that is not how this is done. And they go... Two of Star Trek Picard? <laughs> and then they're like, okay, you know what? We won't take you from your family now. We'll take you from before you met your family. And he's like... And that scene... Wait, Ed will never... Um, Malloy will never know. Malloy will never know about the family he lost unless they tell him. But he'll never feel it in his bones. The way he feels it in that moment where he is seriously considering shooting Ed in the back. Like, 
it's an inconsequential episode. It's it's very much isolated in its own story as opposed to yeah. what we've been talking about. It's a bottle episode. But it is just heart-wrenching and brilliant. And the debate, it, it's it's hard because it's like, I don't know about modern cultural relevance in a discussion of temporal law. But the drama, Dave, the drama yeah. was very real. The, the, the tension between Kelly, Ed, and Malloy in that scene where they're discussing what, you know, his violations versus his right to live his own life in the absence of knowing whether or not he'd be saved is like, you could have put that on a, on a stage. Like it was like a one act play. It was pretty brilliant. Yeah. This is more the, uh, like, uh, nerdy time travel philosophy type stuff. It's not with sort of an emotional backing. It's not so much mm -hmm. the, you know, modern uh, parable and analogy type episode, yeah. I think. Um, but uh, yeah, for this one, I mean, it's, it's, I get, yeah, I can say it's a bottle episode, so it doesn't really tie into the bigger events happening at this mm -hmm. moment. But, uh, but yeah, like Malloy makes a good point. It's like, you know, look, th this, this rule was probably come up with by like politicians and academics who have never actually had to face the consequences of that rule. Right. It's easy to say, like, oh, you know, this might happen to the time stream, so we should do this. It's like, yeah, well, we'll try actually living separate from human civilization, trying not to interfere with the timeline for the rest of your life. You know, it drives you mad. Right. And, and, and even logically, like, if you factor in, like, you know, the butterfly effect, you mm -hmm. know, like, anything you do could still affect the timeline. Like, really, the most logical thing to do if he was in that situation would have been to, like, basically set the gun to overload in, like, 10 seconds. <laughs> shoot himself to disintegrate himself and then the gun disintegrates thus removing any right. you know, chance to interfere with the time because even if you just like hunted a deer well maybe that deer was hunted by someone else or it had a baby that went and right. you know ran in front of a car and that car crashed killing the next hitler or you know like right. it's just maybe that deer went to college we don't know yeah and, and on top of that you know like the whole thing with ed and kelly is like you know but you know like this could have a negative effects for the future it's like and it could also not it's like yeah but we don't know it's like well then you know, my, my reasons for for doing staying here are just as valid as your reasons for me not staying here. And again, for all we know, I could have just like come back in time and lived my life and had my offspring. And that was actually the way time went in the first place. Like maybe I'm not actually changing the past. I'm just, right. this, this already happened. That's got well, the Bruce Adams. The writing of Star Trek 4 handled it so differently. They were very flip about it. Because yeah, if you recall, when they, when they give away the formula for... Um, uh, transparent aluminum. Yes. And they're like, how do we know he didn't invent the thing? First of all, what do you mean, how do you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, maybe, maybe us three academics don't know how steel was invented or who invented it, but uh, someone did. Yeah, well, I think a few people figured it out, but yeah. <laughs> also, I'm, I'm willing to bet that probably the library computer on a Klingon warship would not really have the inventor of <laughs> aluminum in the 20th century it's you know Klingons are not the most scientific at best. <laughs> I just it was always it was just a fun, that's just a funny line to me. But when you compare it and again, I'm making another Star Trek to Orville yeah. comparison. When you compare like this, the writers of Star Trek Four, where, where they raise an objection momentarily in the film, are we are we doing a bad thing by changing time by giving them the formula just because we selfishly need it to 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 uh, tank these whales? And he's like, eh, like we don't know who invented it. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, there are higher conversations to be had there, but nice moral quandary you completely rolled over. Yeah. Um, this uh, this one handled uh, it much better. 
Yeah, my, my only other big bugaboo with this episode was, uh, yeah, just when, because, uh, like, I always thought from the start, it's like, well, why don't you guys just, like, fix the ship and then go back 10 years in the past and then do it anyway? But, like, when Ed tells Malloy what they're going to do, it's like, holy crap, man, like, you just really <laughs> screwed with that guy. Like, you could have just, like, said, like, all right, well, I guess if you're not going to leave, I, you know, we're, we're just going to have to, you know, see yeah. how the history comes out and then like walking back to the shuttle, then maybe mm. Kelly could have been like, wow, Ed, you're actually going to let him. It's like, no, we're going to go back in time 10 more years and pick him up before any of this ever happens. No, no, they had to Strike tell two. him just to create that extra level of torture. All right, yeah. Jesse, I, I purposely waited because I wanted to I know you did. I, I know you're waiting. I'm foaming at the mouth. I know. Yeah, I can I, see it. Part three starts now. Your, your <laughs> desk raised three inches. Because you're hard I, underneath the desk. Oh my goodness, uh, it, David, you pointed out exactly what upset me about this episode. When you think about it, it is horrific to understand that. Don't even talk to Malloy. Just go get your shit and then go back and get him. We didn't need to watch this torture, but I will tell you this: this episode really made me angry because. Malloy once again finds happiness with this girl and it is wrenched away, mm -hmm. like taken away by these people who are so worried about playing God that they're going to go back in time and just erase happiness. Um, really, really bothered me to a point where I, I, you guys have noticed this season, they're kind of bringing things back, uh, you know, from that stuff is, happened in previous episodes actually there's a lot of that happening through here um the the society where kelly was god you know that's a whole episode um and so it's it's good to see it. this dark malloy better come back and wreak some hell that's what i'm hoping alternate timeline malloy shows up With a because he's so pissed oh <laughs> yes and a goatee. i mean of course he's kind of got that right now <laughs> maybe he's shaved yeah he's shaving in this timeline or whatever but anyway, I'm I was so mad and so upset because they gave him happiness again. The actual thing they gave him the actual girl. They gave him a kid and another one on the way and they took it from him. And it just was so heartbreaking. Sorry, I'm just thinking about Ghostbusters. Like, let's see what happens when we remove the puppy. <laughs> right <laughs> it was me i i'm, I'm what happens <laughs> i was i watched i was so sad uh time travel at the beginning of this episode presents the best payoff with the egg salad sandwich yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that it go what do we go like three more episodes four more yeah. episodes maybe yes. five and it finally like a, shows sorry lamar's up. reaction to that is like oh what a weird ass shit man oh i know dude <laughs> i wanted to quote that it was so great it's like this, this goddamn ship and everything is so fucking weird um but yeah that was great uh let's talk about charlie and isaac who get to pal around in this episode yeah. too mm -hmm. who i i just want to quote by the way i i use the app tv time and there is a perfect quote that this guy put for a comment and i want to read it because when i saw it i was like i've got to i've got to say this and this is uh oh my goodness i'm going to give him i don't have it up here of course top quote tree tigress states charlie just won't fuck off about isaac he betrayed <laughs> his people he betrayed his people to save them he committed suicide what the fuck does this bitch want listen <laughs> as we all know when it comes to women they're never satisfied Oh, oh boy. Anyway. <laughs> Mark Radlich on Twitter. Mark Radlich. 
please. Yeah, right there it is. It's right there on the screen. Ladies, please. Uh, uh, so check me out. Not me, him. him. <laughs> this man did not for us. <laughs> the views of the host and not reflect the views of the guests of the W2Web network. <laughs> That's okay, everything guys, that I I'll have. stand in front of you. I'll take my misogyny, my misogynistic and married humor and stand in front of you. It's fine. Yeah, you okay. should just put that at the bottom, ticker tape, instead of the Orville season three. Like, just, <laughs> just say the views of the host. Not <laughs> yeah. Put that on there. It needs constant reminding. Um, that's all I have for that episode. Yes, I love, hey, it's time travel. Oh, man, I love the mm -hmm. fact that they're using this device that we saw in a previous episode. They brought it back, and they're going to make use of it. And boy, do they ever. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's good. That's good writing. And, but yeah, we, we watch them go back in time and it, it is a, a very, it's a heartbreaking episode and it's almost to where you're like, why, why did we do this? And it's at the very end, it's, you know, Mercer's like, oh man, it was really rough. Yeah, it was rough. I didn't, <laughs> you didn't earn this. You didn't earn you, you know, he needed to be a lot more broken up about what he I, did. I, I, I was really that's where the emotional core of the episode should have been with Mercer and Carrie deciding like, do we let Gordon live right. the rest of his life out here or do we go back and pick him up and erase this family from Agreed. existence? Agreed. Like, that would been, can, well, do we want to ask the question just amongst ourselves who, who was, who was right? Should Gordon have stayed or did they do the right thing in removing him? And I'll go first. Um, they absolutely did the right thing in removing him. Right. Here's the thing. Um, they're a military inst institution. Hang yeah. on. Mm -hmm. They're a military institution. There are orders to follow. There are reasons why they do those things. I understand the emotion, but consider the consider the fact that yada yeah, yada yada. Well, consider the fact that if you never knew it existed, is it really that much of an emotional trauma? They never had to tell Gordon what happened. He well, didn't, they did. He yeah, didn't he was like, man, I was such a jerk. So selfish of me. Right. But that's but, but that's again, my point. That was like, ten years my, ago, Gordon. Right. Here's the thing. It is one thing to create a lasting traumatic impact on somebody. It is another thing to do the right thing, and it'll have no traumatic impact on any living being. Once they got, once they went back to 2015 to go get him, that whole timeline never exists. Therefore, there is no hurt, there is no trauma, there is no damage. And they were doing the correct thing for how that military institution runs. Your witness, prosecutor. Jesse, Jesse you are. Is that me? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll ask I'll ask a quick question here uh, mm -hmm. because I do need a little bit of clarification. See if you guys remember. Mm -hmm. There was a discussion about a paradox uh, and what happens when a paradox is created. David, mm -hmm. do you remember what they were saying just by chance or Mark? Uh, I don't remember the specific one. I mean, I can explain temporal paradoxes like grandfather. Right. Yeah, correct. So what? how do they find out about Malloy being trapped in the past? Uh, they, well, oh, they found oh, an obituary. Yeah. In that obituary, don't you think they would have listed that this guy had kids? Okay. Yeah. That obituary happened. All right. They go back in time, grab him. The obituary is no longer going to be there. We have a paradox on our hands. So the very thing that they're saying we need to avoid, once again, they decide to go back and create. Uh, I so, would challenge that just in that it was his initial message that he sent that okay. where he was. It was after that that they looked up, up the the information. So okay. I would yeah. that they they probably they probably still would have gone back. But okay, yeah, and you're right because I think they go they make a point no, to try and they get grabbed back him after. 
before he sent the message. That would have been then, a problem. And paradox, yes. Yeah, then we would have had a problem. Specified. But regardless, do I, Mark? Your your question is is it was it right? I, I side with Malloy. Clearly, I'm not biased in any way. <laughs> I mean, Malloy, <laughs> uh, Malloy laid it all out there. Like they have no idea what's going to happen. The future's still there. The guy died at 93 years old. But Jesse, what's the if harm? You come, if you come right now and you remove my wife and kids from me, I will be traumatized and sad. If you go right. back to 2008 before I meet my wife and take me on a different path, I don't know that that future ever happens. And so I can't mourn the thing that never existed in the first place. And if it's for the greater good, greater for me, good. that's the end of the, the greater good. That's the end of the discussion. Has there ever been a has there ever been an instance where they said that time travel happened in the Orville universe prior to this? You're talking about no, like the I Marvel don't. argument where no matter the, the Marvel argument in Endgame made no sense to me, by the way, where he's like everything that happens in the past happens in the past. And even if we change it, it still happened or some shit like that. Right. And it's like there's multiple timelines. So if you travel back in time, you're traveling into an alternate timeline. So anything mm -hmm. you do in the alternate timeline will only affect the future it's in the that branch. alternate timeline, not your timeline. There, therefore, we cannot solve all of our problems by going into back in time and changing things. But we can grab the Infinity Stones and use them in our timeline and then put uh, just so long as we put them back to preserve the alternate timeline. Except for Steve Rogers, who can stay in the alternate timeline, but then pop back into ours because he's Captain America. That's right. Because at That's right. one point, so people stopped caring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was basically time them, travel. Yeah. It was basically <laughs> them justifying how, well, why can't we just do this anytime we have a problem? Yeah. You know, Dr. Doom won. Well, let's just go back in time and kill him before he's, you know, yeah. when he's born. And then, huh, no, Dr. Doom. So, no, you just killed Dr. Doom in that alternate timeline. He's still here in your timeline and he still screwed everything up for you. So, we began tonight's uh, discussion talking about suicide. I'd like to up the ante now and talk about genocide. Um, they created a device that magically uh, only... <laughs> they created a device that magically only kills the Kalons. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the way they demonstrate it. They lure the Kalons to Earth and blow up their fleet. Then they go uh, to Kalon. Actually, uh, the, the Solarian planet wasn't Earth. Earth doesn't have ring. Care. But I yeah. Don't care. I, I don't care. Um, so Kalon's astronomy, astronomy. Headline. <laughs> um, looks like Earth to me. Um, rings and all. Mm -hmm. I don't pay attention. Um, <laughs> rings and all. I see him every day. Thirty times the gravity. Um, anywho, so they so they so they drag him to the salon and they blow up the whole fleet, and then they go to Kalon and the, you know and they meet the first line of defense, blow them up, and go, hey. We're gonna keep doing this, and there's nothing you can do to stop us. And the Kalon's like, "Fuck your mother." They're like, "That's a fair. That that's fair." And they go and they blow up the second line of defense. And they go, "Next stop, all of Kalon. Would you like yeah. to talk now?" And they would go, "Fuck your mother, but sure." And so <laughs> they go to Kalon. They're like, "So the thing that we did, we're gonna do it again, or stop." And the Kalons go. We really don't have a choice, so sure. We'll stop until we find a way to defeat your super weapon, and then we'll go resume killing you all. Yeah. Um, and so the, by this point, the Mocklins have been kicked out of the Union, and they've decided to team up with the Krill. And 
mm-hmm. who have decided and, to not team up with the union at this point because they elected right. not Trump. Right. <laughs> I don't even that want to talk not, about that. That was not a subtle oh, illusion there. No, no, it was not. Oy. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, but yeah, it was just like, geez, I wonder which election they're referencing in this election. And a lot of, and a, a lot of like small references to deep fakes too in that, which was yeah. interesting because they were talking about that. Being I'm not going to lie. I'm like, like, that's, like there happening. are episodes that absolutely resonate with me and will stay with me for a long time. That was other than revealing that Ed had a kid with her. That was not one of them. I was like, please let this episode end. Um, I, I didn't care. But anyway, yes. Um, the, so the Krill have decided to not, Joint make an alliance with the with the union to face the Kalon. The Mockins have since they've been kicked out, and their game plan is to get a hold of this weapon and use it. And here's what I wanted to talk about: there's a debate that happens on Union headquarters between the crew of the Orville and the Admirals, and it's Ted Danson, Victor Garber, and whoever the other broad was. Uh, Kelly and, Hugh, I think. Yeah, and there's a discussion of. By the way, Martial Law, great show. If you, any of you haven't seen it, dig it up. First season's amazing. <laughs> It's like Rush Hour, except good with Chris Tucker and Sam- and Fat Jackie Chan, aka Samuel. Okay. <laughs> so the the two sides of the argument, they 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 want the extinction of the human race. Actually, this is so this is before they go to Kalon and convince him maybe stop. So <clears throat> they've tested the weapon once. That's just when they they lured them to the salon and blew so them all up. And, nope. And. Um, <laughs> And then stop, stop, David. That's <laughs> <laughs> why the game to have you heard this is always yes, by the way, because then I'll make you listen to the song and derail the whole show. <laughs> so then there's a discussion of okay, well, now that we have this weapon and we know it works, what do we do with it? One side of the argument, kill them all. The other side of the argument, hey, genocide's bad. That's the whole argument. And you have Charlie who's like, the what are we reason for? genociding us is because they're afraid we're gonna genocide them. Maybe let's not prove them right. Well, that's and that's whole like that's Seth MacFarlane's whole argument. He was like, "Isn't the way to win friends and influence people to show them we're not monsters?" It's his exact, yeah. his exact line to them. He was like, they, "When when Kalon Prime is like, why aren't you killing us?" And he's like, "Because we're not the monsters you think we are." Which I I need to take a brief moment to talk about the episode where they show you the history, the, the rise and fall of the Kalon, where basically well, the they were create yeah. <clears throat> they they were created as like Kalon servant bots. A lot. Yeah. They were they um, they were created as servant bots and they were mistreated and they developed ascensions uh, enough to decide hey we don't like to be mistreated and they revolted and killed everybody and based on that they were like all humans are bad great moving on well all organics are bad oh my just, God. just just a, just just an, <laughs> just just an aside like when they find out that the Kalons murdered their creators it's like have you guys not seen a sci-fi show like robot civilization <laughs> come from nothing usually someone builds them. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah. if there's no builders around when you meet the robots, chances are the robots killed the builders. Like, this is just the natural order of things. Yes, nobody in a sci-fi show watches sci-fi um, or reads it. <laughs> so anyway, knowing that, now now we have a degree of sympathy towards the Kalon point of view of, well, this isn't going to happen again. And so everyone has to go. And that's where they're at. Um, and so and, and argument, that kind of starts to turn Charlie as well to a bit, right. being a bit more sympathetic. Right. Um, so her teaming up with Isaac and, you know, when they're mining for fuel, that all of these things are what we get where we finally get to with the finale with Charlie, which is where I'm trying to go with this. Yeah. So anyway, um, so the so Seth MacFarlane's like, probably let's talk to them first. Let's see if we can get them to stand down before and then use genocide as a last resort, not first contact. 
And that is ultimately what wins the day. But in a modern parable for what goes on in real life, you have hawks who are like, nope, I don't trust them. I'm not giving them a chance. What if this goes badly? What if they can't be trusted? What if, what if, what if? And they what if themselves. It's the planet from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Right. And so Ted Danson assists in the device being stolen by the Mocklins and the Krill, who have no compulsion about using it because they're evil bad guy aliens who think genocide is A-OK. Um, it's a great episode. It's a great action-packed episode. Lots, you know, lots of great special effects, lots of great, you know, flying shots or whatever. Um, where they go back, where they fly into this Mocklin research facility to steal back the device. And that is where Charlie makes the ultimate sacrifice of blowing herself up with the machine to save the Kalons, which then convinces the Kalon, well, we may have gotten this wrong. Yeah, maybe the <laughs> organics aren't so bad after all. Um, and it pretty much resolves the entire season three storyline. Um, I thought it was great. I, I don't have a whole lot to add to it. I'll go to you first, Jesse. I, I just think it's a great piece of business. Well... I don't know. Was anybody thinking of Star Wars at all during this episode? Just, just a bit. <laughs> tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. Uh, I, I enjoyed the episode. The whole Charlie thing. Um, I mean, that's how it had to end in order for her to be for her. My goodness, her, the, the emotional weight that she brought to most of this season mm -hmm. and and just how she hated the Kalon and that was forced. I say forced, but I mean, I, I guess they felt they needed to get it across that. Oh my goodness. She was hurt. I think they could have done a little bit less of that. And I would have got the clue, but <laughs> you know, she, this is the, how it had to end. Um, and Can I ask you a question? Do you think that how they lied about I'm home, Amanda, or I'm here, Amanda adds takes away or has no impact on her decision to sacrifice herself. And here's why I'm asking that. Hmm. To make the ultimate sacrifice because it is the right thing to do, damn my feelings, is noble. I kind of got the impression she was killing herself because she had an out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's very much a possibility. There's When you look at certain moments through this show, and the whole Kalon genocide thing, you know, we're saying mm -hmm. genocide, genocide, but you also got to think to yourself, well, these are robots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right now, you you show me a robot, and I'm not going to think a robot is living. Whether it talks to me or emotes mm -hmm. to me in any way, I'm not mm -hmm. going to consider it living. And destroying all the robots, which I think is the name of a song, um, that right there, <laughs> destroy all destroy all robots. Actually, I think it's a game. No, maybe not. Anyway, destroy all. You're humans. thinking of destroy all humans. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. So anyway, you know, if you told me to destroy all the robots on the planet Earth, I wouldn't consider that genocide. And I think it's. Still, genocide. also something that can't you can you see genocide in the first degree. <laughs> Sorry, sing it, sing it, Mark Radlich. Um, <laughs> the don't put us, don't, don't, don't start playing a song. Um, get us demonetized, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I, I think that that's another level. Each moment has mm -hmm. its different level, but the, the moment that you're talking about, go back to Charlie. Uh, yeah, I really do. That entered my mind. I was like, I think that a lot of this. She was the only person that could do this. She knew she was the only person that could do this. And I think the way that I see it, that was her comfort at the time to mm -hmm. understand the decision that she made. She was like, okay, I know I'm going to die. And the one upside of this is I'm going to be back with the person that I, I was in love with. 
uh, the person that died, the person that is no longer with me. Now I'm actually back. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here, Amanda. Is that what she said? I'm, I'm yeah. here with you, Amanda, or something like that, or I'm co- yep. yeah, something along those lines. What? Well, I'm coming, Elizabeth. That was a different show. <laughs> um, <laughs> That'd be great if it was, though. <laughs> oh, oh uh, Seth McFarlane, uh, you, <laughs> yes, you crazy he guy. redeemed himself. Oh, I would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming, Elizabeth. I mean, it would have broke the tension of the scene, but oh you know. my gosh. Uh, yeah. anyway, got to make Jeff Starker uh, laugh, David. <laughs> your your thoughts great. on that episode? Go ahead, David. Yeah, like what, one of the things that I really give the season credit for is not going the way I was ever thinking it was going for a lot of the major arcs. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as you mentioned before, I've, I've seen a lot of Star Trek and I watch quite a bit of sci fi. I'm, I'm by no means the greatest expert in the world on this. Hang on, I actually have a question about when they did this to the Borg. Because this is the now it's, this is not my thing with you. I have to compare yeah. the direct rips from fucking Star Trek <laughs> and what, get your opinion on it. But keep going. I'll come back to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So a lot of the times you know, you see something happens like, oh, this is how it's going to play out. Like, oh, Ed lets Talia go instead of you know arresting her for being a spy. Well, that's going to be like the first step towards peace between them and the girl. Nope, she goes like full Trump grill xenophobia. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, that just totally did not work at all. Like, I needed somebody to be wearing a make make krill great again. It was just about (laughs) that, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it, MAGA is just such a brilliant catchphrase. Mm. Like, I I have to hand it to him, whoever, like, Donald, if you're listening, whoever you paid to come up with that for you, pay them more because holy crap, dude, (laughs) like, that was. That was the best money you ever spent. All right, keep for you. Canadian politics. But anyway, yourself, okay, we're trying to have a nice, trying to do a family show here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was an apolitical statement. Good catchphrase is a good catchphrase. I mean, it worked. Anyway, uh, I digress. Yeah, so you know, like that totally went the complete way, and then you know, you're expecting you know Mocklis to leave the union, but no, it was the union that left that kicked the Mocklins out, and then they hooked up mm-hmm. with the Krill, and then. Then it's like, oh, great. Now we're on our own with the Kalen. Whatever we do. Oh, super weapon. It's like, oh, so the Kalen are a threat anyway. Like, I could just, it was great because, like, I don't really know how this is going to shape out. This is really right. good. This is engaging. And it all made sense, too. Like, mm-hmm. that's the big they thing. Ended up, they ended up having a team with the Kalen, which was crazy. You know, you're yeah, like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was not expecting that to happen, but right. okay. Like, yeah, like it was, it, it was very smartly written. It made a lot of sense and it kept on upping the stakes. In a, in a credible manner and then it just had that great payoff at the end where you sort of have like well why why did the you, you why did charlie sacrifice herself for us it's like well because she thought that your right to exist was worth her life and you know but that does not compute it's like well yeah because you know not all organics are the way that your builders were they were they were jerks to you you know we're right. not like that and, and anyway i don't want to kind of get too deep into that it, it kind of explains itself but like i really thought how that all came together was was really well done and it just yeah like something i've told my kids sometimes the right thing to do is a thing that hurts you but it doesn't matter do as they as spike lee once told us always do the right thing even when it sucks yeah and that's and very that's much he's doing yeah and that's very much ed as well as his mm-hmm. he always tries to do the right thing even if it's tough and a lot of the time it works out sometimes it doesn't and much. yeah like yeah. he ed is not always right which I thought is a, is a really mm-hmm. good thing to have for that character, uh, but but he is still you 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 really want to back him in his decisions, and you know you know it's coming from a good place. And uh, with Charlie, like, uh, like with with Star Trek, there is sort of this this very humanist 
ideology that you know like humans are capable of great change and progress and like in the future mm -hmm. we will become you know we will we will cast off these petty squabbles and then become more cultured and uh, sophisticated that kind of sounds elitist but you know like more more mature like the sort of idea which is sort of what especially next generation star trek tries to show but i like how in the orville it's like yes we have achieved this much better state of civilization the state of being but you know we still get pissed off about about things like you know yeah like mm -hmm. you know you killed our family members in the battle of earth with the Kalon. we're not gonna just say like oh yeah well you're machines you 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 made a wrong computation and uh you know all bygones are bygones no it's gonna take us time to process this mm -hmm. and to come to terms with that like yes we can get to the point of you know we don't really want war but at the same time you killed a lot of people and we're pissed off about that right and and that's sort of expressed through charlie is and and she does come around throughout the show and you know, get a bit better and and yeah you, she she goes from i wish you were all dead to self-sacrifice for and right. and yeah like it shows how you can have conflict but also still have have this being a futuristic aspirational society uh, a real quick comment, and then I'm going to go to Jesse for his favorite moments of the yeah. season, and then for and then throw it to you, Dave, for things left unsaid, um, if there is anything. But uh, I have to talk about first of all, everyone this season. Um, this is a great cast of characters, and it's not like they're all like A-list actors. As a matter of fact, Adrian Palicki, and this is what the point that I wanted to make, not a great actress. It, 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 in all reality, her Wonder Woman, her her Wonder Woman pilot was so bad that you know it's like legendary. Um, as Mockingbird on Agents of Shield, she was okay, but that whole like that whole show lacked in the writing department in many areas. It, some of it was better than others, but she certainly was not lending a lot of gravitas to that cast. This season, <clears throat> almost, I don't want to go all critical drinker on this because this is not really what I mean. So I don't want to use the word diminished Seth MacFarlane, but he didn't feel like the star of his own show anymore. This felt yeah. like the Adrian Palicki show. And well-deserved. She's phenomenal. She has some really great scenes. She does some really great acting. And it feels like... It almost feels like in crafting this third season and Fox largely stepping out of the picture because Fox is gone now um, in all but name. And then just kind of having carte blanche to do what they want. Everyone was like... And maybe even Seth MacFarlane felt like this too. Was like... Why don't we focus on some of the other characters? We don't have to focus on me. I'm not the major draw anymore. Let's focus on some of these other characters. Let's give Adrian Palicki an opportunity here to shine. And she absolutely did, to the point where you could have almost taken Seth MacFarlane out of this season. And outside of a handful of scenes here and there, I don't know if it would have impacted the show at all. What do you think about that, David? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, he, he still very much has his own arc and his own things to do. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, with the Krill and Talia, that was a huge... That's not the only thing, though. Thing for him, yeah, yeah. He, he had some other things to do too, but that's what sort of mm -hmm. sticks out. So I wouldn't say that he's like, yeah, like he's not front and center in the show. Mm -hmm. But then again, neither was most of the captains in Star Trek. In fact, like the I, you know in the original series, you had Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Oh, and hang Discovery, on. you had Michael Burnham. Everything mm -hmm. revolves around Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham yeah. is the beginning and the end and the universe. And anyone who dares go against Michael Burnham shall be smited. Meant to ask you, how do you like the way they handled the destruction of the Kalon versus how they did the same exact thing with the Borg, where there was a debate over whether or not they should send this algorithm that was going to kill them all? 
Yeah, the geometric shape that would uh, basically mm. crash their systems. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th there are a lot of similarities and parallels. Parallels, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was drawing them all season, man. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. No, I got yeah. It was it was a bit more highfalutin in uh, next generation. It was more like, you know, do we have the right to? You know, destroy an entire species, even if it is the greatest threat to our continued ex existence. Mm -hmm. uh, and they did kind of hand wave it away a bit, like just like, ah, oh, no, I don't think we will. But there was also talk of they're like, well, now that Hugh, the Borg in question, they were going to use for this, has experienced individuality, he might take that experience back into the Borg collective, and you know, the Borg might embrace individuality. So there was still this sort of idea of we're we're introducing something into the collective that will destabilize it. It was just mm -hmm. hopefully without like killing. We were kind of hoping that too with the emotion chip kind of deal. I, I, at least I was. I was like, well, I wonder if they're going to take that and introduce that into the Kalon. Uh, right. Yeah, actually, that was my initial thought was that right. you know, once it's like, oh, hey, we found this way of giving Kalons emotions. And then that generates this empathy that, you know, that made the, that one Kalon, I forget the character's name, you know, not want to fight organics anymore. And I thought Tim that would have been like, yeah, Timis. Yeah, and I thought that was going to be like the super weapon is they'd find a way of mm -hmm. broadcasting a signal that flips the switch in all the Kalon and they... But no, no, it was actually just pure logic and uh, and and reacting to the events. Like, it's... Uh, again, I thought, again, you have subverted my expectations in a good way. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right, so back John. to what you were saying about uh, the treatment of Seth MacFarlane versus Adrian Palicki. Uh Yeah, well, I guess to finish the Borg thing is... So mm -hmm. with the Kalon, it was a lot more... Yeah, like, like Ed makes his case that I think we should give them a chance, and if it doesn't work out, then we can use the weapon anytime. Whereas I think when in Next Generation, it's more like, no, this is our one chance to do this. We're never going right. to get a chance to get our hands on a Borg drone and get them back to the collective like this. But then, of course, you had yeah, Ted Danson says, well, I don't agree with that, and I'm willing to sacrifice my career and you know, eventually his life to, to do this. <laughs> and they shoot him dead. Yeah, yeah. Should have seen that one coming, man. Yeah. But, uh, but so, so there are some differences, but yeah, it is that sort of, you know, we have the ability to kill our, the person that wants to destroy us. Mm -hmm. Should we do that? You know, if, if right. it is like we're talking. On the it is the question about the atomic bomb, isn't it? You know, we Somewhere. have this, we have this godlike destructive power to end the war. And it's not like Should Ed we? was being a what's about it. Like when they go mm -hmm. to, to visit the Kalon, like he, he says, like we have a super weapon. You've seen it used before. We want to talk. Don't send your fleet at us. They sent the fleet at him. It's like, okay, they sent the fleet, blow them <laughs> up. You know, okay, seriously, we're, we're going to blow you up. If you, if you keep doing this, we want to talk. They send another fleet. Blow They blow up the fleet. It's like, you know, you, you guys just aren't figuring this out. Are you? So <laughs> right. uh, he, so Ed is all for like, he will resort to violence. Yeah. But he will try the road of peace first. And even at the end when Talia, they capture her again. It's like, look, I let you go the last time. It didn't work out so good. This time, no. Like, you're staying with us. And mm -hmm. even holding our daughter hostage, yep. you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not like fall what? for that one. And like most women, he finds her contemptible. Mark Radlich <laughs> at RadlichandBroadcasting.com. Right over there. Check me out on all the dating apps. Check me out on all the dating apps, ladies. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> All sorts of swipes happening. I don't, I don't know. Which way do you swipe? I have no idea. Hey, Jesse. You want to weigh in here on uh, the treatment of Seth MacFarlane versus his lady love? Oh, I, you know, 
there was a lot of conversations held during this season between <laughs> and intercourse Grayson and somebody else. Usually it's yes. Grayson and the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another sit down mm-hmm. conversation uh, with Grayson and Topa. Um, Commander Grayson being finally welcomed back to the dinner table, uh, Clyde and Borges, mm-hmm. which by the way, okay, were uh, just, this could be a yes or no question. Okay. David, were you shipping Bordis and Commander Grayson at any point? Ooh, like that bit where they were on the planet getting oh, break. They were just like, you know, inches away, and you're just like, oh, they're gonna go for it. And nope, nope. But oh no, no so they do close. not. Boy, I looked over at my wife and I said, I am not shipping these two at all. This should not be happening. I wasn't. Mark, what about you? I'm not when I, I say shipping, did you want to did you I, want them to I'm kiss? Not, did you want to see your using... I'm not going to use that word. Just like I'm not going to use bougie because anyone that does is a moron. Um, were you shipping them, Mark? Tell me if you were shipping them. I don't understand what that means. Okay. I don't use. Yeah, you I don't use your go vernacular. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Podcast. There was. I will. I will think. recognize, Chesty Starcher, the sexual tension that was very visible on screen between Bordis and Kelly. Okay. Did you want them to have a relationship? Ooh, no. Because I think in a will they won't they when they don't it's much more like ooh because they always do. Yeah. I said the same thing about the Meg, where at the end we're like I, to- I, I think it was either the Meg or um well, oh gosh it was either the Meg or Pacific Rim I think it was Pacific Rim now that I think about yeah it. Pacific Rim they they, they were they, they was like will they or won't they and they don't and they're like whoa sexy yeah I, I was happy at that too <laughs> so, David to to you know kind of jump use that point of they swerve you mm-hmm. where you're thinking they're going to go one way. I totally was like, Oh man, get ready. Cause they're, we're going to have this whole Bordis Kelly, Kelly thing going on. Yeah. The next two or three episodes are going to be this till the end. And they don't do that. Uh, Bordis and Clyde get back together and boy, do they ever. Yeah. Uh, be- <laughs> they run naked through the forest. And you, know, uh, you were complaining about all the music. You were complaining about all the music. I could watch, I could watch, and listen to those songs over and over again. You know what I fast forwarded to? Them chasing each other through the fucking forest. I was like, ah, you don't need to see this. If they were playing Mandy, you would be all over it. <laughs> oh, yes. And running That'd slowly, be... yes. Slow motion, yes. Slow motion, right. Mandy naked running through the forest. Oh, That's right. Mandy. We came without shaking. This was, this was just jumping off to something else here. This was the first like sci-fi series that I sat down and watched, and my youngest son, he's eight years old, was really straight up invested in these episodes. Mm-hmm. And I was I, I was really surprised because he he watched faithfully through from beginning to end of these episodes, asked a couple questions every once in a while. And then um, I was really worried about Clyden and Bordas running through the forest. And I was like, is he going to ask a question? Is he going to ask? A-? He didn't ask me any questions. Hey daddy, uh, what's a sexual assault? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that guy almost naked chasing that other man? Well, he didn't ask any questions um, either you way. You have to explain you know, what grab ass in the forest is. Yeah. That w- it would have been <laughs> fun. I would have asked your mom. I did you have to, did you like I did have to explain to your children what soaking is? Don't answer oh, that. Um, just go right <laughs> just go right into your best of Jesse. Top three. Oh, I think we covered most of the moments that we uh, mm-hmm. that I had really. Egg salad mm-hmm. sandwich, that was number one. <laughs> Dolly Parton mm-hmm. showing up was a big thing for me. Like her actually walk I, it was so funny because Mindy's watching this with me, which by the way, she enjoyed it. She uh, Mindy yeah. oh, is, she didn't know nope out of this usually... one. You know why she didn't know nope out of this one? No talking. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, she enjoyed this and it was so funny because there were so many references to previous seasons and Mindy did not mm-hmm. have a chance to watch any of those with me. So I'm sitting there trying to explain, Oh my gosh, get ready. And then, uh, then when I knew who was going to be showing up in that cabin mm-hmm. and, and the door opens and I'm like, Mindy, get ready. You won't believe who's she's a big country fan. And Dolly Parton walks through and I'm like, Here, this is great. You know? So anyway, love that moment. Uh, and I guess really, I'll go ahead and give Charlie's sacrifice uh, probably the big moment of the season easily. Personally, it's probably my bottom three. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be my third biggest favorite moment of the season because it does somewhat redeem her in my eyes a little bit. It makes her less of uh, an annoyance, I guess I'll say. She has uh, an arc. She does have an arc, and it does come to an end. Um, so anyway, there's my top three. I'll, I'll end it there. David Wright, take me home, baby doll. Anything left unsaid? Any burning desires? Uh, off the top of my head, I think Clyden coming back, I thought was a pleasant surprise. It came back just at the right moment where Topa had been through a lot with the whole kidnap, torture, almost died sort of thing. And then to have Clyden come back very much, I was wrong, I apologize, I said some horrible things. And you know, his, his sort of forgiveness arc, and of course you have him you know, inviting Grayson to stay for dinner, which sort of shows him like giving some genuine effort. Like, cause yeah, like before that, like, yeah, you know, screw Clyden. I hope screw I never it. see him again. You deserve like, you go back to Malkus. I hope they bomb it, you know, <laughs> and that sort of, almost that kind of thing. And, and then, but no, like to have him, like I, what I was actually thinking would be happening is because he was originally born female, that maybe he had some unresolved issues from that, that be, that he sort of paid, wallpapered over with the bit, the, the bigotry. Right. And then, right. Sort of, and then having Topa, do the thing that he could not sort of sent him over the edge, but no, it was just like, Oh, you know what? I realized I was wrong. Like my thinking was, 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 was not right. And I'm going to do my best to, you know, get over it. And he did, you know, he did. Um, going back to majority rule, the, the social media planet, I thought was kind of interesting how they kind of just yeah. did that as a, like a sort of quick B plot explaining the prime directive, even though they don't explicitly have the prime directive in, in the Orville, but the, like that was sort of the best take on it. It gets it's gotten mm-hmm. a bit muddled if you watch through proper Star Trek on like, what exactly the prime directive is or what it means. Whereas I think the Orville just went with my favorite version, which is if they don't have warp drive or faster than light travel, we leave them alone because we have no idea what's going to happen. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk when you can you can get go faster than light. Uh, you know, I thought that was kind of a nice thing. Uh, Isaac inviting the whole Kalon planet to their wedding. <laughs> yes, I was, was so great. afraid that was going to be Three's Company cringe and we were going to restart the Kalon war. Yeah. Like, gonna, <laughs> you're doing so. Talk about like a like a 9.9, you know, gymnastic routine and fucking falling on your face at the end. Yeah, like, Isaac, you, didn't, you didn't invite the whole planet to the wedding, did you? Affirmative. Uh, get you central on the comms and what's going on. Mayday, mayday. It's like, yeah, like the whole Kalen Armada is at our current position. Don't worry, it's for a wedding party. They're not launching another invasion. Just stand down on the feet. You know, nothing, nothing to worry about here. That was good. Uh, you know, the little Ed and uh, Kelly holding hands during the last episode, the sort of, ooh, maybe, maybe they're getting back mm-hmm. together. But, uh, yeah, that was that was all good. Um, probably the low point for me was the whole episode where they kept on being put in death-defying situations, 
because of the future planet. Oh yeah, the the whole simulation thing. Yeah, that was the that, one where Colton yeah, was really into that. Yeah, I, I don't really like those whole sort of mind screw episodes as a general. But like Brendan Bragg as a producer on the show, I, I'm sure he wanted to write an episode, and that's kind of his thing. And you know, it, that, that was sort of the, the 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 episode I would have thrown away if I could have thrown away any episode in in the season. But uh, I'm probably missing something in all this. But uh, oh well. But yeah, overall, like I. Yeah, like I said, this is some of the best TV sci-fi in the vein of Star Trek or just TV sci-fi in general I have seen in in decades. And it just kind of, it just goes to show just how much love and effort Seth MacFarlane and the team put into the show. Like, I, I, I remember listening to an interview with Seth MacFarlane where he said, like, you know, like making making it a, a weekly live action TV show, it's it's hell. Like it's long hours don't see your family. It's just, it's, it's really hard work to do that. And so like, you know, we wanted to make sure that you know, we, we were never doing any stories that we didn't feel were worth what we were putting into them. And it shows in, in the show, like, uh, you know, even going back to the first season where it was, you know, it had the typical stumblings of any show, but you can really tell that this is a show made by people who understand what they're doing, have a great love for what they're doing and want to be the best at it that they possibly can. And it, it just works. And I really, really hope that this is not the end. I, right. I, as much as they wrap up a lot of things, I, I, I would like a season four. I mean, maybe maybe four seasons is is enough for the Orville, but it's just been it's been so long since like I've tasted like this is like you know, eating like you know, a nice steak, right? You know, like, like I haven't had one for so long, and then all you've had is like McDonald's knockoff burgers. Yeah. Now I'm I'm talking about Star Trek Discovery here, you know, <laughs> like where it's just like yeah it's it's meat but it's 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 kind of not 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 the good the good meat and it was just mm-hmm. the, the show is such a breath of fresh air it, it you know it dealt with some heavy issues it, but it also it wasn't cynical it wasn't negative it, it this this was a future that I want world that I wanted to be in or live in like you know I I, I always felt happy going into watching the show it wasn't like dark and depressing and nihilistic as, as other shows like and yeah and it just it, it just shows how on other shows like where you have writers that are just basically hired guns brought in to to, to do this kind of stuff and they're just not good and that's kind of like i say it's star trek discovery they, they hired a bunch of guns unfortunately they can't hit anything and uh <laughs> i shouldn't be that nasty to the writers i'm sure they're trying hard but it, it, it's a tough genre to work in and there's so much stuff previous to this that it's hard not to crib from that you know, it, it's a tough thing to do, but I, I, I just I get the feeling that when you talk about mar- modern Star Trek, a lot of the writers, if if they shut down production, they would just be like, "Well, what's the next thing we're writing for?" Mm-hmm. You know, whereas yeah. if if if, you, if if they cancel the Orville, I think Seth MacFarlane and a lot of the gang would would be hurt a lot more than just, "Well, now we have to find new work." This is clearly a passion project for everyone involved. You feel that in the show. Uh, I don't know if it's been renewed. The only thing I wanted to add to kind of close out the discussion and then move into plugs is. The way this season ended, everything was sort of tied up. They really left no loose ends. I mean, there's there's places they can go. They can still deal with the Krill and, Mo- and Mockless. Yeah, um, you got to get uh, Ed's, Ed's daughter. daughter. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's some strands out there. But if they didn't, I was very satisfied with the way season three ended. You know, I, I felt like everything was resolved enough to feel um, satisfied with how everything was how everything ended yeah. i thought claire and isaac's wedding was really really nice um i thought everything about you know i think the introduction of the, the first security gal who had to leave the show 
Um, it's got a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes the second season in a row. The first season has 30. Sec- mm-hmm. Second season was 100. This one's 102. So we're not completely off base and glowing praise for the show. Uh, and I hope, uh, like I said, I hope there is a fourth season. I guess we'll find yeah. out. Or even just like a movie or something, just mm-hmm. to kind of go through those last few uh, threads. Though we yeah, do, we do, we do have the Spider People as as a potential new. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, created. Group, but uh, yeah, I think that was one of those. We'll, we'll just we'll keep these guys here. If we need, if we need a new nemesis, we can always <laughs> sure bring them. Well, in. folks, that is our review of uh, the Orville and New Horizon season three. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, this is a re- it's the rare TV party, if ever, that we go two hours. So that's part of it because we didn't have a Daniel Holly. Just so TV. much meat in this show to to talk about. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. I I, miss- I warn these guys like this isn't gonna we're not wrapping in an hour we're going the full damn you Hollywood two hours tonight. Um, for the <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's not worth it. Not yeah. one so Loki whatsoever. No, nope. even a little bit. All right. Uh, yesterday, speaking of so Loki, uh, we did the second to last Metal Hammer of Doom ever. Before we switch over to the Metal Hammer of Doom jukebox, uh, we reviewed Clutch Sunrise on Slaughter Beach. Um, that is it for this week. I mean, there's pages going up on the W2M Net blog. Uh, old 2019 Metal Hammer of Dooms that never had pages before. So, you know, if you go to the web page and you want to see new content, there's some uh, repolished stuff there. But as far as new content this week, we are done. Though I think the talk the Keki guys have some stuff this week. They'll probably be video games podcast. The next new show will be um, Wednesday, a week from tomorrow, from when this records, September 28th. Daniel Hollywood is back. We'll be reviewing Rob Zombie's The Munsters. And hey, do you like David Wright? I like David Wright. Does David Wright like science fiction? Does a bear shit in the woods? Certainly. Um, Speaking of Star Trek, he will be on, because this is one of those TV parties that I promised I would do before I cut myself off from this altogether. Star Trek, speaking of He said, hey, I want to do Strange New Worlds. Do you want to join too? I said, yes. (laughs) <laughs> i didn't want cans on you jerk <clears throat> so yes uh next week we will talk strange new worlds on um thursday september 29th and uh and then we're into october we'll have a bunch of old everyone loves the bad guys like 90 percent of the everyone loves the bad guys we're about like horror or whatever so they're all going up in the month of october that'll be fun starting with Ooh, okay uh yes yeah, starting with one things so haunted houses. All right, Jesse, what do you got going on? Well, yesterday we went to the Hardcastle and McCormick. The <laughs> <laughs> what is this shit about Hardcastle? What are you doing moving Hardcastle on me, Mark? Uh, yes, Hardcase and the Strangers. We went into the Ultraverse. We talked about a two-issue crossover on the Unspoken Issues podcast right there on the source material comics feed uh prior to that mark radlich and myself talked about the new lieutenants of metal it was an independent comic that came out from joe casey lots of funny stuff happening that real neat art style and you can hear me and mark talk about it for about half an hour and well i'd say about 15 minutes and the other 15 minutes is us talking about music uh in concerts and and big boobies apparently that mark had saw at a concert acdc apparently at one time at one point but anyway that's on the podcast you can check that out that's really all i have maybe upcoming here pretty soon you can hear uh me and chris armstrong discuss spider-man blue which is a really interesting uh jeff Loeb tim sale story that came out in i think the 2000s i think it was early 2000s really good so we'll be we'll be recording that and releasing that here in a couple weeks that's about all i have all right, folks, <clears throat> next week, David Wright, 
Strange New Worlds. We'll see if it's the worst Star Trek ever or the best Star Trek of the modern era. We'll find out. Until then, that's Chesty LaRue. I'm a giant bag of dicks. Be well, be safe, and behave. Ha, ha, ha.